Hello there, Dave here. What you're about to listen to is a preview of the Tales from the Backlog VIP feed that is exclusive to supporters over at patreon.com slash realdavejackson. If you would like to support the show, head on over there, take a look at the tiers, the $5 tier and up. We'll get you the Tales from the Backlog VIP feed with bonus episodes, should you choose. If you do, I will be eternally grateful and you will be my hero. All right, let's get to it. Hey everybody, welcome to Tales from the Backlog VIP. And since you have chosen to be a hero and support me, I thought that I would tell you a little something about myself. So today I'm just going to do something quick and fun. It's going to be a quick top 25 games of all time list that I made half absentmindedly while watching a baseball game. So uh, you can tell that a lot of thought went into this, but After the fact, I decided to kind of give three reasons why I love each of these games. There will be an accompanying image that I'll share in the Discord server. Uh, I've already shared it in the Discord server, but I will share it again in the patron-specific channel uh, for you. So, top 25 games and three reasons for each game why I think that they're great. And these are in alphabetical order, uh, even though... The first game on the list might be my favorite, my favorite, favorite, my capital F double plus favorite. So first game up is Bloodborne. I think Bloodborne has absolutely best-in-class atmosphere and kind of architectural design. The way that the city of Yarnum looks is incredible. Like, frankly, it is ridiculous. It is anytime you're inside the city, Central Yarnum, Old Yarnum, Cathedral Ward, stuff like that, it is beautiful to look at. And that's not always a word I would use to describe the way From Software games look, but it's beautiful. Not only that, but it has fast-paced and really fun combat. I I genuinely enjoy the combat. I love the parries. I love how visceral it is. I love how gross the weapons sound when you slashing at enemies with your saw cleaver and stuff like that. Excellent. And just as a little added bonus, I'm not someone who really takes a lot of story out of From Software games, but I think Bloodborne has one of the most complete and digestible stories of any from software game that i've played except maybe sekiro but i don't really i don't really like the story in sekiro it's just kind of flavor to me the story in bloodborne i think is genuinely interesting how it's a combination of a werewolf story but there's a lovecraft story behind that so love it bloodborne next up is dark souls So what I love about Dark Souls is it feels a bit more lonely and meditative than Bloodborne. Oh, I should say, I made an effort on here to pick one game from each series. So if this were a real top 25 list, I would probably have Dark Souls, Dark Souls 1, Dark Souls, or I would probably have, if this were a real top three list, I would probably... If this were a real top 25 list, I would probably have Dark Souls, Dark Souls 2, Dark Souls 3, and Demon's Souls all on the list, but I wanted to pick one. 
Bloodborne's not part of the Dark Souls series. If you want to complain, go ahead and complain. But uh, this is my list. So Dark Souls uh, is a bit more lonely and it, it, it's kind of like a meditative experience, I think, when compared to Bloodborne, when compared to Sekiro, when compared to um, even Elden Ring. There, there's there's a lot more people, characters that are still alive and doing stuff in Elden Ring. And yeah, Dark Souls is going to be, it, it's just, I don't, I, I don't know if I enjoy playing Dark Souls more than I enjoy playing Elden Ring or even dark souls three but i think the first game um has some of the best like level design and world design of any video game i've ever played and the more i think about how that world is designed with all of its connections between the levels connections within each level i just i i wish they had kept doing that as they gone on through as they went on through the series but i really understand why they didn't because it must have been a a ton of fucking work because they didn't do it in demon souls. They did it in dark souls and then immediately went back away from it in dark souls two and beyond. So the world design is great. And I, the, the last reason I love dark souls is it really just like changed, you know, the type of video games that I like to play. Like I seek out things that will give me the same kind of feeling as dark souls now, which is a reason that I love some of the other games on this list, which uh, I'll reference when I get to them, it, it was a real kind of turning point for the type of games I like, the type of games I like to think about. And well, I mean, you're listening to this, you know me, like I, I kind of have this reputation now within this little indie podcasting community of like being a FromSoft guy. And it's because of this game. So Dark Souls. Game number three is Darkest Dungeon which was covered on the show uh, quite a long time ago with Andrew Taven, a good guest there. Dark's, uh, Darkest Dungeon, when I think about my favorite turn-based combat systems, because turn-based combat can be boring, it can be repetitive, it can be rote at times. Darkest Dungeon is one of my favorites because it's not. Every turn matters. Every status effect matters. The turn order matters. Everything matters in the Darkest Dungeon combat system. It's excellent. Darkest Dungeon also has a really fun um, system of quirks that your characters pick up through this stress mechanic. As you go through dungeons, they get stressed out and they can get these personality traits that can be like they can become really problematic for your team. Like your healer gets freaked out and all of a sudden decides they're not going to heal people. <laughs> That's no good. Uh, or it can turn the other way. And they can turn into a superhero, you know, like, you know, being forged in the fires of like Lovecraftian horrors. Uh, that's my third reason I love Darkest Dungeon. It has excellent Lovecraft flavor and feels like, you know, I'm not like a huge Lovecraft uh, expert, but it feels like the people who make Darkest Dungeon really, really get the idea of like, pursuing knowledge too far to the point where you open up something and everything is fucked because of that. And it, it's just really excellent flavor that you slowly uncover as you play through like 90 hours of Darkest Dungeon or however long it takes. It's a long game. Next up is Disco Elysium. The first reason, I'll get this out of the way quickly because it's kind of a joke answer, but it's definitely not. 
but kind of, but definitely not. The first reason I love Disco Elysium is because Kim Kitsuragi is the fucking best. One of the best video game characters, especially one of the best side characters, like not main player characters. So Kim Kitsuragi is your sidekick. He is the best. I have yet to meet somebody who played Disco Elysium um, with one notable exception <laughs> who didn't love Kim. Kim's the best. Uh, just a, a great character to counterbalance all the weirdness coming from your own main character. Second reason I love Disco Elysium is because it has an emotional intelligence that most video games, but like I feel like a lot of media, movies, TV, whatever, don't approach the level of emotional intelligence that Disco Elysium has. So you'll find yourself in situations, um, whether it's remembering something from the past or dealing with something in the present that is heavy, heavy subject matter, very serious things happening uh, with people. And Disco Elysium seems to understand people and our emotions better than, uh, I know, I can't really think of a lot of things that approach that except for one other game that's later on this list. Uh, the last level, the rest, last reason I love Disco Elysium is the skill system where your skills are parts of your personality that will chime in whenever something related to them kind of is happening. And you're always rolling, they're always rolling invisible skill checks in the background for whether the skill succeeds in its check or not. So maybe if it fails, the skill will still chime in, but it'll give you bad information. Or maybe it will um, it will succeed and it will come in and, and like kind of read the room for you maybe or something like that. And there's a lot of these skills. So it really gives this very scatterbrained and not not quite like multiple personalities, but like you have all of these different forces, internal forces acting on your character as they are going through these conversations. And it adds a lot of flavor. They're all very well written. They're all pretty simple to understand and they're they're distinct. That that's I think the biggest thing for me is that they're all very distinct from each other. So skill system in Disco Elysium. Next up, Dishonored 2. Now, I wanted to put an Arcane Studios game on here, and it was between Dishonored 2 and it was uh, between that and Prey. And I think Dishonored 2 gets it for mostly um, level design, which is Arcane Studios' best attribute, I think. Prey has good level design too. I love going around the space station in Prey. But in Dishonored, you have that great level design where there's, there's, usually several paths to get to one place. Once you get to that one place, there's several paths to do something else. When you have an objective, there are several ways to do it. When you need to, you know, deal with your target, there are lots of ways to kill them lethally. And there's usually a very good non-lethal way to take your target down too. So really, really good a level design like that. I like the stealth in Dishonored. I love using Blink. Uh, the teleport ability is so much fun in Dishonored. Really, really good. And the other thing I love about Dishonored is in some of the levels, there is like a kind of gimmick, especially in Dishonored 2, 
where you get a special item or uh, something strange will be happening in the level. Um, or the level itself will be like a kind of very special thing, like the Clockwork Mansion, where you have uh, all of these big moving parts. Like it is what it sounds like it is. It's a, it has a bunch of huge moving pieces. The level is literally shifting around as you're going through it. Um, there's another level where you're time traveling. It's it's just really really good. Like the thing in Titanfall Two, where you're traveling between time. There's a level like that in Dishonored Two. But you're adding on the kind of wireframe level design on top of that. And it just, it's excellent. So much fun. Next up is Divinity Original Sin 2. I praised the turn-based combat system in Darkest Dungeon, and I'd like to do it again in Divinity Original Sin 2, except Divinity, where Darkest Dungeon made every move matter to like the hundredth degree. Divinity is a little bit less, like you can mess up some turn. There's a little bit more forgiveness. It's not as difficult as Darkest Dungeon, but you have so many options in Divinity's combat. It's totally possible to go into a combat scenario and you will have 15, 20 different tools at your disposal to use. And it's up to you what you want to do. Like there's not often one correct thing to do. Although I do think if you're playing the game and every battle doesn't end with everything on fire, um, <laughs> poison clouds, uh, electrified mist all over the battlefield, then you're not really using the combat system to its full potential. But the combat system gives you so many tools to play with uh, you can set up ambushes, you can get positioning, high ground is really important. It's very tactical, while also giving you just a million toys to play with. It's so much fun. Another thing I love about Divinity Original Sin 2 is that when you're going about your objectives throughout the main story or the main quest, there's often several ways to do it. And the, a good example is early in the game, your party is in this uh, on this prison island called Fort Joy, and there are a handful of different ways to get off of the island. You can escape through a back way, you can kill everybody on the island, you can kind of barter and negotiate with, with the jailers on the island. There's so many ways to get this done. And it just give it feels like now I don't have a ton of like tabletop fantasy experience but this feels like playing through one of those games with a very creative and very permissive game master so awesome lots of ways to do stuff uh, the other thing i like about divinity original sin 2 which really puts it over the top from the first divinity original sin game which is also at the very least like an a minus game that one's also excellent uh, the cast and the writing is just better in Divinity Original Sin 2. A lot of your party members have fun backstories, and as you go through their side quests, you get to see these, you get to help them work through something that they're working through. There's one character in particular named Los, I'm, I'm pronouncing her name that way, uh, where she is kind of possessed by a demon, and throughout the game, you see the effect that this is having on her, and then hopefully you'll be able to help her out with that. And the conclusion of that quest is really, really uh, heartfelt, heartwarming. 
very good. So better writing, better cast, better backstories, Divinity Original Sin 2. The next game is The Elder Scrolls III Morrowind. And this is one that I'm excited to replay sometime for the show. Excited, a little bit nervous because I haven't played this since about 2007. But uh, when I first played Morrowind, this is the first proper open world game that really gave me like a sense of wonder. Like I played Grand Theft Auto Vice City before that. But I didn't get a sense of wonder from playing that. That was more just like, oh, okay, well, let me steal some cars and cause some mayhem and stuff like that. The real sense of open world wonder and exploration, the first time I got that was in Morrowind. Another reason I like Morrowind more than the later Elder Scrolls games is I think that uh, the later Elder Scrolls games, for as broken as they are, they're more limiting in what you can do. And it seemed like, you know, If you want to be effective in Oblivion and in Skyrim, you should be stealthy, you should be an archer, um, you should, well, that, that was basically all the only ways that I felt like I was super effective. But in Morrowind, there are so many systems that you can just totally break open and make yourself into a god, basically. I mean, there's a levitate spell where you can just... I mean, if (laughs) the game's putting a wall in front of you, just levitate over the wall, you know, Um, or you can levitate up in the air. Your enemies can't hit you anymore. Just take care of them from the air. Um, There are, uh, there's a crafting and alchemy system that is, you know, if you invest into it, you can make potions and stuff that just make you invincible, basically. So just a lot of, uh, a lot more freedom in fun ways. Um, Oblivion and Skyrim give you freedom to go anywhere and do anything you want, but uh, uh, Morrowind gives you the freedom to do anything you want in, like, literally the way that you want. Like, you can just become a god. The other thing I look fondly back on in Morrowind is the system, you know, that journal system in that game is a little bit outdated now. Um, there's no real quest markers and stuff. You got to go look in your journal for directions. You got to look at maps. You got to read signposts when you're out in the world. And I just kind of look fondly back on that. I'm not sure that when I replay it, I'm going to like really love that again. But, you know, it, it sits pretty nicely in my memory of them saying like, okay, you got to walk up to this intersection where you'll see this. You got to take a right and then take a left. And then over the hill, you'll see a castle. And then you got to follow those directions and try and find that castle. It was uh, it was pretty fun back then. Again, not sure how, how well it'll hold up, but we'll see. Next up. So we're into the Fs. And... Uh, this is an interesting one because um, I said I was only going to pick games one game 
from each series. And so we're in the F's and it's time for a Final Fantasy game. And my pick is Final Fantasy X. It is my favorite Final Fantasy game. Now, I love Final Fantasy VI, but I haven't played that in over a decade. I'm going to sometime. I'll do it on the show. But I did replay Final Fantasy X a couple years ago, and I replayed the first few hours just a couple week, couple weeks ago. And I, I just think this is the best Final Fantasy game. The My three reasons why I love it, though. Number one, I don't love ATB combat. It's okay. Final Fantasy VI, Chrono Trigger, stuff like that. It's fine. Final Fantasy VII Remake had good kind of action ATB combat. I think X has the best combat system of any of the Final Fantasy games that I've played. That would be 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 12, 13, 15, and Tactics. People say that X2 has great combat. I want to try it, but I haven't played it. Another reason I love 10 is that I think that the main cast in 10 is, I don't know, I, I just connected with that cast with uh, Aaron and especially Yuna and Yuna's quest. Um, there's a couple in the cast that I don't really care much. I don't care about Riku or uh, Kimari that much, but I really enjoy the core group of um Yuna, Aaron, Lulu, Waka sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes, and uh, Titus. I, I enjoy him. The other reason why Final Fantasy X makes this list is that um, I think Sin is my favorite antagonist in a Final Fantasy game. Um, there are others that are certainly more famous because they're easier to put in Super Smash Brothers or whatever. Like, I think Sephiroth is fine, but... I think the story with Sephiroth kind of takes a wet fart at the end of Final Fantasy VII. I think Sin is overall just a great kind of looming antagonist, this thing that is like almost too big and too powerful to comprehend, and it just shows up and wipes everything out, and we have this cycle of destruction, religions that pop up around it. it it's just really cool. I, I connected with it like from the instant I started playing Final Fantasy X. Next up, Hitman 2. This is from 2018, Hitman 2. Um, this is, I could honestly put any of the recent Hitman games on here, 1, 2, or 3. I think I'm going to put this one on here, though, because Hitman 2, I think, has the best collection of levels out of all of them. Um, Hitman 1 has a lot of really good levels, like the Paris Fashion Show and Sapienza. They're great. But collectively i like the ones in hitman 2 better the racetrack in miami is just it's so good i love the trial and error and kind of walking around constantly assessing what's going on where your targets are going what kind of activities your targets are doing how can you set up a creative assassination because you can play this game and just when you see your target shoot them in the head and then run away that's technically an option but that's not really what these games are about to me it's about lining up something interesting following a mission story to get a creative assassination 
it, it's really, really fun. And the last thing that I love about Hitman 2 is uh, I love Agent 47. I, <laughs> I just think he's excellent. And the sense of humor and like the characterization of him as this, like, he is no nonsense dedicated to the task, 100%. But he's extremely funny and in a very dry sort of way. I'll never forget. Uh, I think it's in Hitman 2 in the kind of suburbs level, Whittleton Creek, something like that, where you're doing a real estate tour and he's going through the different rooms and he's he's <laughs> kind of like talking about these rooms and presenting them from an assassin's point of view. So he'll go into this uh, kitchen and say like, uh, kitchen has you know marble tiling, great for cleaning up any spills on the ground. Or um, <laughs> going down uh, into a basement, and he'll say, uh, "This basement is uh, great insulation down here. We'll keep out any sounds coming from the inside." And he says it in a very dry way, much better than I'm doing, of course. And forty-seven is just endlessly funny to me. And they, I think, they really started to lean into this. They had it in Hitman One. Hitman Two feels funnier, and then. Hitman 3 sometimes, but Hitman 3 is a little bit different. Next up on the list is Hollow Knight. Hollow Knight. So Hollow Knight makes the list for being, I think, the best Metroidvania that I've ever played. And I like Metroidvanias. I don't always connect with all of them. Even the ones that people say are really good, I don't always connect with them. And... So like Super Metroid, for example, is one that I think has really good world design. It has really, um, really good secrets and exploration, but I don't really like playing it. It doesn't feel good to play to me. Hollow Knight does. So it, it, it combines this like incredible world design with being really fun to play. And those are the top two things I wrote on this list. So the combat is really fun. The platforming is really fun. It's tight. It's responsive. Everything feels fair, except the path of pain. But other than that, everything feels fair. And when you're exploring around, you get that great Metroidvania feeling where you get a new upgrade. Hollow Knight does such a good job of imprinting these things into your head. So when you get a new upgrade, you remember, I remember that floor that I can bust through now. And I remember that floor in this other place that I can bust through now. Everything like that is so memorable in this game that when you get those upgrades, you're like instantly like, okay, I know three places I want to go, see what I can find there. And the last thing that I love about Hollow Knight is the incredible, just very lonely atmosphere. The, the soundtrack of the game plays into this. It's a very melancholy, but beautiful game. And it's very lonely. The Really, the only companionship you have is when you find that map maker around. And there's one boss fight where you get someone to fight with. But other than that, it's, you know, you're all by yourself. And I really dig it. And that is the end for this free preview of Tales from the Backlog VIP. Head on over to patreon.com slash realdavejackson. $5 a month or more will get you the VIP feed, where you can listen to the rest of this episode and many more. 
Thank you, thank you. See you later.